Today, we're going to start something that I've been working on for the better part of a year. Uh, now, not this sermon. It's not, it's not that good. Uh, you know, if you, have a, if you have a year to get ready for a sermon, then it should be a good one, right? Uh, but it, no, I, I, but, but I've been working on this concept called the way of Jesus. And let me tell you kind of where the way of Jesus came from. We're going to be in this for quite a while. Um, I began reading the Gospels uh, in a different light probably about a year ago. Um, you, do you remember uh, the, the braces? I, I want to say they came out in the 90s, but, but it was the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Everybody was wearing those. Uh, but when you, when, you look at the, when you look at the, okay, it, it's a good filter. It's a good ethical filter. You know, what, when, when I'm confronted with a situation, well, what would Jesus do? Well, we're going to look over the next many, many weeks of not what would Jesus do. We're going to look at what he actually did, okay? And, and, and this, let me tell you why that, why that matters. My, my, my undergraduate work was in sociology, and, 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 I, and I think it was because I always loved, I've always, um, I've always been fascinated by, by behavior patterns. Like, why do people do what they do? I mean, it really does fascinate me. Churches have behavior patterns, uh, you know, Football teams, baseball teams, schools, cultures, marketplace cultures, every place you work has behavior patterns and things that kind of how they move and they flow. And I've always been fascinated with, with behavior patterns because, because if you can understand recurring patterns, and that's a big deal, if you can understand recurring patterns, you can understand somebody. You can understand, there's a reason people act the way they do, right? There's a reason people live the way they do, because they live based on their value system. We all have value systems. Well, Jesus had a value system too, and, and, and what you believe, it drives how you act, right? I mean, that's, what, that's why beliefs matter, theology, if you will. Beliefs matter, because beliefs fuel action. And, and so I've been looking for over a year at kind of what did, not just what, what would Jesus do, but what did he actually, what he actually did and what were his patterns? Because if you understand those patterns, this is the big deal. If you understand the patterns, then you can make a deeper connection. You really can with other people and especially with your, your savior. Now I'm going to do something. Okay. Some of you are going to scramble and try to write these down. Um, you know, it's okay. You can take a picture of it because I know that when you're on your phones, you're either reading the Bible, you're taking notes on me. You would never be looking at the score uh, or anything like that. I know we are far too holy for that. Uh, but uh, if you want to get out your phone and take a picture of this, this will be on the website uh, coming up in the next few days. But, but I want to give you all six. These are the behavior patterns that I have found. These are the lifestyle patterns of the way of Jesus. And I'm going to unpack these for you over the next many weeks. And the first one is always truthful. Now, I've, I, now by the way, look, the, these, these are Jason's words. They're, you're not going to find these like tucked away somewhere in the Gospel of Mark, right? I mean, because here's the thing about Jesus as you're writing these down. Let me, let me tell you something. Um, there's a place for all kinds of preaching. There's a place for preaching verse by verse, which you can go run through a whole book of the Bible, all right? But let me tell you where you get most of your theology from. You don't get it verse by verse. Let me give you an example while you're writing these down. Where do you get a theology of abortion? You don't. You have to take verses from throughout the Scripture to get a theology of life, 
right? So you get a theology of life based on, there's not just one passage on abortion. There's not just one passage on tithing. There's not just one passage on death. There's not just one, you can't read the whole book of Philippians about heaven. It doesn't exist. You have to take verse with verse. And that's, and and by the way, we don't have a long commentary on Jesus' life. In fact, the longest commentary we have is Philippians 2. And and that's when Paul's talking about who he was. How do we find out what Jesus valued? You got to put it together. And so what I began doing was looking at lifestyle patterns and things that Jesus, what, what I would call recurring themes, things that just kept coming up. They just kept coming up. And, and so that's, so always truthful, live free, practice God's presence, engage my neighbor, find a tribe, kingdom first. And these are going to play a big part in the life of our church. And, and these are actually the things that Jesus did. And let me tell you how that matters, friend. Let me tell you, your theology, and, and I'm telling you, you know, there's not, I'm not, I'm not willing to say this uh, in many forums because it's, it's never, it's, it's very rarely true, but it's true today, okay? It's true. Uh, I am right on this. And if you want to disagree with me, you are free to be wrong, all right? But, but I am right on this. And let me tell you what I'm right on. Most of your theology, most of your personal theology was handed to you, okay? That's not a bad thing. Don't let the, ooh, what does that mean? I didn't say all. I said most. Most of your theology was given to you by preachers you trust, authors you trust. It was given to you by speakers you trust, writers you trust. But it was given to you. And, and I'm going to tell you why that, why that matters. It matters because often a lot gets lost in translation. Your theology is most often handed to you or it's hand-picked. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A, a lot of Christians look at the Bible the way they want to. And, and I, I will tell you this, as, as your friend today, you're going to do a whole lot better following Jesus if you stop reading the Bible like an American. Listen to me. If you stop reading the Bible, I am a Southern American. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm happy about that. Listen, I've I, I went as far as you can go in education, all right? Two college degrees, a master's, and a doctorate, okay? I prefer to speak Southern. I could speak academia if I wanted to, all right? I say y'all, and I mean it, right? I drop my G's and go and fix and come, and it just works better. I don't have to work so hard. The goal of language is communication, not art, okay? It's my opinion, right? But the reality is, I'm a Southern American and a male. I can't divorce myself from any of that, and that's how I read the Bible. You read the Bible through the lenses you grew up in, but you have to learn to unlearn that. And so what I began to see about Jesus is a lot of the, a lot of the ideas I have about Jesus are assumptions. Or they're preconceived ideas. And so as I began to take this whole year and I began to read through the Gospels, I I, kind of had a goal. And my goal was I want to read it like I haven't read it before. Like actually, even though I'm about to read, uh, we're going to be in a minute in Mark chapter 10, okay, about the rich, called the rich young ruler. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. I tried to read that story like I didn't know it. Now, I know that's hard because I do know it. But I tried to read it like I didn't know it. And if you start reading the life of Jesus like you've, like you've never read it before, it's, it's interesting what you'll pick up on if you read it slowly. I've always encouraged you to read your Bible slowly. Don't be in a hurry. 
Hey, you know, if you live for the next 30 years, you, you, you have time. Just don't be in a hurry to get the Word of God in you. So, so we're going to look at what some lifestyle patterns that Jesus... And by the way, last thing I'm going to say about this series. When we talk about Jesus always being truthful, okay... What I found is that situation after situation after situation after situation, there was obviously we know Jesus isn't a liar, Uh, of course. No, what I'm saying is Jesus was candid. Jesus was a lot more candid than you and I are comfortable with. I'm telling you. There's been many times in the Gospels that Jesus just said it, right? And, and it's, it's the reality. So, so Mark chapter 10 is where we're going if you, haven't, if you haven't gotten there yet. And this is about the rich young ruler, we call him. It's what, we, what we've given his name. And here we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy said back to Jesus, verse 20, Well, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. That's important. Don't miss that. Jesus says, One thing you lack. He said this just to to this guy. Go and sell all your possessions. Give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then, I'm adding that word, and then come follow me. So go and sell it all, and then come follow me. Verse 22, but at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. Jesus doing what he always does. He has a coachable moment. Coachable moments are great. Always do it right in the moment. I've learned that by being a parent, by the way. You know, you can't spank them, you know, like four hours later. They don't know what you're doing it for. You got to do it right in the moment. That's a parenting tip, right out of the Gospel of Mark. Right? I just added it just now. Do you see how that works? No, he taught the disciples something. He used a coachable moment right then. Verse 23, and Jesus, looking around, he said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus answered again, and he said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. And they said to him, who can be saved? I mean, hey, it's a great question. Well, why are we even trying then? Verse 27, he said, looking at them, Jesus said, well, with people, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter began to say to Jesus, behold, modern verse, look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother, father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So what does this passage, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these statements, in this case, always truthful, and we're going to apply it to, to stories where Jesus, in this particular case, was candid. You, you saw one of them was practice God's presence. I'm going to show you stories where Jesus practiced the presence of God. I'm going to show you stories where he, he taught us to engage the neighbor. I'm going to show you stories where the kingdom came first. I'm going to show you recurring patterns. These are the six recurring patterns, and then we're going to apply them to certain situations. And in this particular situation, it's this guy's situation. And what does this, what does this story teach us about the heart of God? Well, that's the big question. What does this story teach us about God and God's heart? Here you go. You ready? God requires unfiltered loyalty. Unfiltered loyalty. That's what, it's, that's what we're getting at right there. You see, the, the call has a cost, friends. Don't ever forget it. The call to Christ comes with a, with a cost. And that cost is that there's an, there, 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 there's an unfiltered loyalty going on there. So if you look at the, the, the real issue here, what, what's the heart of the problem? I'll tell you what the heart of the problem is. The heart of the problem is a divided heart. That was the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem was a divided heart. So write that down because that's, that's the key to the story. It's the key to the story. Jesus told this guy the truth. He told him the truth. When the guy came up to him and asked him what he's got to do to inherit eternal life, he told him. But the problem was the guy had, a, had competing loyalties. And, and, and so what we have here is a real problem because this guy was a religious man. He was a moral man. He was a good person. But the heart of the issue that Jesus told straight to the truth about was about his divided heart. Now, let's dig a little deeper on this. Was it possessions that this guy couldn't let go of? I don't think so. I, I don't think it is. I don't think the issue was possessions. Because he had a lot of those already. He was a property owner. The problem wasn't the, that he owned property. The problem was the property owned him. That was the issue. His achievements, his successes, all the things that he treasured dear. See, Jesus went right to the heart of that. He saw right through it. The property owned him. That's what possessions will do in some cases. You see, when you look at this guy's story, you see a lot about this man. What, what happens here is that his possessions gave him this, well, well, let's think about it. Let's put you and I in that place. What do possessions give us? They give us a sense of security, right? And they do. Let's face it. Let me ask you something. If your bank account is fat, don't you feel better? Why are y'all looking at me like I'm the only one who feels that way? Y'all aren't that holy. If, you're a bank, if your 401K is doing well, your anxiety is, yeah, it's going down. You check that sucker every day, bad on you. I wouldn't, right? Don't look at that. It's called dollar cost averaging. Stick money in and keep going, right? No, you, you watch that stuff. Why? It's why we're we human. We're human people. So this guy, he was owned by his possessions. So what possessions do is they give us this sense of, they give us a sense of security. And I'll tell you what they also give us. They give us a sense of status. See, I don't think it was the land. I really don't. I don't think it was, lots of people own land. No big deal to own all kinds of land. It's what the land got him. 
And what the land got him in society was prominence. What the land got him among his friends was he was somebody. What the land got him was a sense of worth. So what Jesus was doing was he went right to the heart of it. And he said, hey, what you have going on right here, <laughs> you, you, you think you own land, but really what ends up happening here is that the land owns you. I'll tell you, the Bible has a word for this. It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. What is an idol? Anything. And I promise you something, that you have idols in your life. Do you hear me? I promise you, you do. In fact, Martin Luther, if you don't like that, take it up with Luther. Luther said, our hearts are idol factories. I love what Luther said about the first commandment. He said, the reason that God gave us the first commandment was, was don't put anything else in front of me was because he knew we would. In fact, Luther went so far as to say that the reason that the, the, the other Ten Commandments make sense if you can get the first one right. See, we all have idols. Idols are sneaky. And it, it feels really weird to think that you have idols because in our mind, when we think of idols, we think of, oh, you know, like, I don't know, some Asherah pole or some deity, you know, with burning sense and, you know, and, and giving off like tokens to it or paying it off or sacrificing some meat or something like that. I mean, no, 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 no. Idols can be anything. This guy had an idol. And his idol was all that his possessions gave him. He had a place in society. And so Jesus went straight to the issue. He went straight to, he noticed, notice Jesus didn't do this for everybody. Do you notice that Jesus didn't go around telling everybody to sell their stuff and go to the poor? Do you notice that? Jesus didn't do that to all, everybody he encountered. He did it to this guy. You know why? Because your idol's different from mine. Some of, you have, some of you have idols in your lives. Your idol can be anything. It can be the need to, the need to be wanted, the need to be included. Some of you have a, a huge need to please people because you don't want to be left out. So you'll do just about anything to make yourself look good to other people so that you can feel like you're valued. Some of you have idols when it comes to money. And it's not because you, you, some of you are really great at saving. And you're not great at saving because you're really disciplined with your money. You're great at saving because you're scared. Because you grew up poor. I've noticed many people that grew up poor and didn't have a lot, they can't let go of anything. And it sounds like they're being thrifty. Often that thriftiness is just fear in disguise. I'm not saying you should go empty out your garage. I'm just saying watch for your idols. An idol can be anything. In this particular case, it was the prominence that the guy had. He had a false sense of security. He had a false sense of, of wealth. And as, if, as if somehow, maybe the, this is what I, I'm curious about this dude. And I think there's so many people just like this. Did, did, he, never, did he ever think it through? Did he ever think that he was going to stand? But one day, one day he's going to be in his final few seconds, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, flat line. It's over. He's dead. Did he think he was going to stand before God with... Look at my investment portfolio. 
I'm not making fun of him. I'm saying, I think the guy was like a lot of people. Nothing wrong with spending. Well, you know what I love about people that have been captured by Jesus that have a lot of money? There's some I've been around that truly do understand. They're going to die with none of it, man. I love watching people that have great wealth be creative in how they can give it away and invest it into kingdom things. It's fun watching them. I've never had that experience. I'd like it. But I love watching people that get it. This guy, he, he really didn't get it. And here's what was happening. Here's why Jesus was always truthful with him. You know why? He went right to the heart of the idol. You see, what he was doing, this is so important. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is an important deal right here. This says this guy, did, did you notice that he knelt before Jesus? In that verse, it says he ran up to Jesus, and in the very beginning, it says he knelt before him. Jesus saw right through that. Listen, no amount of religious expression you can offer on a Sunday to God is going to hide idolatry. No amount of religious expression. God's going to see right through it. And Jesus saw right through his bowing the knee and I've done it all. And he said, oh, there's one you haven't. Let's try this one. And it said he walked away not just sad, but he walked away grieving. Don't miss this, friends. Don't miss this about idolatry. When you look at the, the story, what is this guy doing? He, he, he's heavy. Don't you find it interesting that he came asking Jesus, I want eternal life. And Jesus said, okay. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, no, you can't have it. He didn't say that. You can't have it. I'm not going to give it to you. That's, that's for other people. He said, okay. So do this to get it. And the guy walked away. This guy approached the life giver, and he walked away choosing death. Think about that. He approached the life giver, wanting life, But instead, he said, I think I'll just stay with death. I will trust my possessions instead of trusting you. You see, an idol can be anything. Because you know why? That's what idols do. What do idols do? We know that an idol can be anything. Here's another question. What do idols do? Well, I wrote it down here for you. Idols promise to do for you what only God can do. That's what an idol is. Idols promise to do for you what only God can do. Some of you have idols in your children. Kid worship. Your desire for your kids to live right and choose the straight and narrow isn't so much about your kids being good, great, and honorable. It's really a fear of what other parents are going to think if, about you if they don't. Idols are sneaky things. What will people think? Well, let me give you a little break on that. They're probably not going to think. People don't think about you near as much as you think they do. I've learned that. Amen. An idol can be anything. But idols promise to do for you what only God can do. This guy wanted eternal life. He wanted security. And it was wrapped up in morality. And yet, he didn't get it. He walked away without it. Let me tell you something, man. This, in this moment, in, this is... 
This is like crazy powerful for me personally. I'm telling you, this whole year, like it's really messed with my soul in the best way because I'm learning things about Jesus and I'm learning that he's always truthful. And so what I'm learning is that when Jesus went straight to the problem, here's how the guy interpreted it. Stay with me on this because this is going to set some of you free on your idol journey. Right? And if you don't think you have an idol, well, let me tell you what your idol is, arrogance. <laughs> You'll get that on Tuesday or Thursday. Maybe you got it now. I don't know. Let me tell you. Sometimes it feels like God is sucking the life out of you. You're, you're wanting me to give up this. God wasn't sucking the life out of him. He was trying to put life in him. He was trying to put life in him. We see it all the time in ourselves and in our friends. Some of you right now that are students, you're, you're, you're desperately going, or maybe you're in your 20s and you're going, I can't believe this guy doesn't want to date me. And God is going, I've been trying to keep you away from that dude forever. Some of you are going, I don't know why. I don't know why I can't get that promotion. I want VP in front of my name. I've worked so hard. And God is going, yeah, but here's what you don't know. Like the people running this place are filthy. I sent you there to be a missionary. You don't want the VP name at this company. In fact, I want you to leave it, but you're not listening. I've been trying to get you to move the whole time, but you're not listening. Because you're so enraptured with the VP in front of your name because you think by doing that, all of a sudden, all your friends are going to think you're smart. Listen, man, I got a doctorate from a great, hugely accredited seminary. There's a lot of people that don't think I'm smart. I'm serious. Like, what do I got to do? I've written like seven books. Still not good enough for some. Really? Stop. Sometimes what feels like God trying to suck the life out of you, man. It is him trying to put life in you. Don't be afraid to leave your idols. Don't be afraid to leave them. Jesus saw through all that, right? Now, here's ask a few questions. Let's ask a few questions. Do you want the, do you want the power of God in your life? You can have it. This is one thing I love about Jesus is Jesus, Jesus, he offered it to him. And by the way, obviously, Jesus isn't an American pastor because an American pastor would have been, notice there was a crowd around. Let me tell you what American churchgoers would have said to the American rabbi. You're not going to run after him. Like, he's leaving. He's walking away. What are you going to do to get in front of him? Jesus said, nah, nothing. He don't want it. Jesus didn't chase him. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't chase it. If you don't want it, you don't want it. Let me tell you, there's many of you today that could be experiencing the power of God, but you don't want it. And I'm not saying that to hit you hard. I'm not. Let me tell you, I've been convicted this past year. Jesus told the truth always. And as Southerners, we don't do a real good job of that, right? 
The boys got Michelle a, a, a mug for Christmas that was hilarious. You ever got one of those funny Christmas gifts? I'm going to tell this. It's, it's, I didn't, wasn't planning on it, but I'm in I, I mean it now. I've got to go with it. And, and the Christmas mug just said, it's fine. I'm fine. I promise everything's fine. Right? That comes up a lot in our head. It's really funny. We see open it. She's down like, oh, I say that all the time. It's fine. We all know when a southern woman says, I'm fine. It's the furthest thing from true. Right? Right? We come, we come to church. How you doing? I'm fine. No, you're not. Right? We all got things going on. This, this guy, this guy could have the, he had it right there. He had a chance to have the power of God in his life, and he didn't take it. So, so let's ask a few questions. Jesus was trying to put life into this guy, but let me tell you why he started with truth. Listen to me, friends. Because you don't get healing without truth. You just don't. It is theologically, spiritually, emotionally impossible for you to be healed if you don't want to face the truth. So what do I do? How do I spot idols? Let me tell you where to start. Ready? Start with my recurring anxieties. Now, I would like to take credit for that statement, but I didn't give that thought. A man named Tim Keller did, and it really helped me. If you want to find out where your idols are, start with what you worry about the most often. Notice I said with recurring anxieties. We all have default anxieties, things we, we are afraid of, things that can send you zero to 60 pretty fast. So how do you spot, spot idols in your life? You start with what you worry about the most. So I'm going to give you a pathway out here. Because the glory of this story is that Jesus wasn't denying him eternal life. It just came with a condition. He was honest with him. So here we go. You ready for these? There's three. There's three things. There's three truths you can employ today that'll help you. Number one, ask the Spirit to reveal your idols. You see, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Bible tells us that the Spirit is a counselor. What do counselors do? They counsel. In fact, Jesus said one of the favorite things I love about the way he described, he gives all kinds of adjectives about the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a discloser. He will disclose things to you. The Holy Spirit will disclose things to you. If you don't know if you, don't know if you have any hidden idols, ask God. Oh, I promise you he's going to answer that prayer. You know why? Not because not he's trying to suck the life out of you. He's trying to get life in you. Jesus doesn't want you hitched to death. He doesn't want your trailer hitched to death. He wants it hitched to life. And so if you begin to ask God, hey, God, what, where is it? Where is it? Ask. That's the, that's the R. Ask him to reveal. Here's another R. We're going to do a little alliteration. I can't even hardly say it, much less do it. I, I never do alliteration, but I'm going to do it today. Ask the Spirit to reveal your idols. Number two, repent. Repent. I don't know why repentance is such an ugly word in church. Let me tell you something, friends. Repentance is your best friend. Let me tell you why repentance is your best friend. 
Repentance means U-turn. That's what it means, literally. It, literally, it means to U-turn. It means to go home. What did the, what did the, what did the prodigal son do? He, he went to the far country. The far country always overpromises and underdelivers. So he goes to the far country, and when it doesn't work out, just like the father knew, what did he do? He went home. He went home on the same road he left on. You can go home. You can come home to the Father. Repent. Oh, man. Repentance is great. And you can't be afraid of what the Spirit reveals, but when He does reveal it, you can repent. But I'm going to give you another R that's really, really, really important today. Okay? And it's this replace. Replace want with worship. Say, what do you mean by that, Jason? I don't mean worship like we just did this morning, and it was great. I mean, it was awesome. Baptisms, gratitude, Word of God. Man, it's a great, it's a great day at Clearview. I'm not talking about Sunday worship. I'm talking about worship as a lifestyle. Because let me tell you what's going to happen, and this is very important. This is tied to repentance, so don't, don't, don't lose this, okay? If you repent, stay with me now. If you repent because you feel so bad, because you violated God, well, that repentance is pretty much focused on you. It's not that it's bad. It's just not the best. I didn't say it was bad. It's just not the best. And what I mean by that is if you just repent because, oh, I violated God, I've done bad, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have, you know, wanted to date that girl, oh, man, I should have never, you know, said that to my friend, oh, man, I, I did this, I did that. If you're, God, I, I've done it again for like the 97th time, you know, if you're repentance, then, then listen, it's not going to stick. There's no, there's no spirit glue there because it's, it's based on you. What you have to do is replace an evil desire that's death-giving with a life-giving desire. You replace it with a life-giving desire. And that, that starts with worship. It starts with going to God. In this particular, let's, let's put it in the case of this rich young ruler. In this particular case, it would, it, if, if he had have repented, it would make, maybe it would have looked something like this. God, Jesus, wow. I never thought that my possessions owned me like that. I got a lot to work through, but you know, uh, well, you're right. And Jesus says, well, of course I'm right. But you're right. I, I didn't see that. that, that it, actually, I thought I was buying up land, and it really it was buying me, and I, I didn't know it. And, 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 and so I, I repent of that. And so what I'm going to choose to do is I'm going to walk into the life giver, and I'm going to say, I don't need it. I mean, I was looking to my dirt to make me feel like I had some worth. I was looking to my education to make me feel like I could finally be smart. I, I, I was looking to, to that, that person, that person I'm married to, to make me feel like I have arrived and they're, they're the dream giver and they're making all my green, dreams come true. And, and then, well, then they changed. That person I married, they changed. Yeah, sure did. And repentance would look like, oh, I get it, Jesus. I am looking for life from a well that only has death. That's not going to work. No, it's not. You see, what Jesus was doing was he was saying, come to me, 
all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who thirst, and you'll never thirst again. Come to me, all you who need, and, you, and my burden is light, my yoke is easy. See, that's worship, and so it starts with replacing. That's why so often in the, the New Testament, you want to talk about recurring themes? Man, read the New Testament about the power of the mind. I am convinced Paul might have, I don't know what he majored in, but he could have minored in psychology because the New Testament is full of the mind. Why? Because what you believe drives how you act. Right? So replace it with worship. What worship is, is, hey, God, I don't need it. I don't need it anymore. I mean, I love my land. I'll keep all my portfolio. It's wonderful. But I'm not bowing down before it anymore. Thank you, Jesus. And he would have said, come on. Come on. There's a promise, though. I don't want you to leave here today without the promise. There's a promise. Jesus offers us a promise right here. I don't know if you saw it. It's kind of toward the end. This is the promise. You ready? It starts in verse 29. Peter's like, hey, we've left everything. I mean, we've left everything. And Jesus says to him, I mean, this is good news, friends. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house, brother, sister's mother, for the sake of the gospel and for my sake, that they won't receive 100 times as much in the present age. He's promising stuff in the present age. And I don't know how all that works out, but he also promises persecutions. <laughs> He's saying, you're going to get all of it, but I'm, I'm going to take care of you. But look at what he says in the very last few verses, in mean, the very last few words, but in the age to come, oh, you're going to get eternal life. So what's the promise Jesus is making this morning? I think the promise is this, and I wrote it down, and this is kind of the way I said it. The promise of God strips us of our deepest wants and gives us more than we could ever imagine. I think that's the heart of the story. The heart of the story is that this guy wanted something that in the end Jesus knew was going to kill him. But if he would have just stepped across the line and dropped his idols, God would have done more for him than he could ever imagine. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them. Man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.